as our kids are being dismissed this morning, uh, <clears throat> there's two things I want you to take, and they're on the ends of your pew. And um, one is our reference sheet for today's sermon. This is going to help us get through the entire book of Psalms today, okay? There's a lot of details on there, and I'll probably refer you to that this morning. But if you'll, there ought to be two on each end of the aisle. If there's not enough for your row, then steal from the people in front of you, okay? It's all right. It's church. The other thing I want you to take is one of these information cards, and this ought to be one per family, one per family. Let me tell you where we're at. Uh, in 2019, this year, we are looking at how we can be better as a family of God. And there are some things we are, and really just started the process, but one of the things that we know and we've already identified and we've already are working on is our church data system, which is all of our information. And we have gone from a 1990s version of that to a 2019 upgrade. Uh, long overdue, but it gives us more capabilities to make sure that we are effectively connecting with one another and uh, with the church. And during the offering time, Byron's going to have a little informational video about the new system, which is called Realm. But as a part of that, what I need you to do during the next hour and a half sermon, joking, is if you will fill this out one per family, we need, oh my, we need not only your birthday, <clears throat> we need the year you were born. Uh, yes, some of you know who you are. We know your birthday. We do not know what year you were born in. Uh, we also need emails, and we need good cell numbers, okay? And this is going to give us some capabilities um, in the years to come to make sure that we are as good as we can be in connecting with one another. So if you'll take time, and what I'm going to ask you to do is at the end of the service, just leave that on the pew. Don't have to put it in the offering plate. Just leave it on the pew. If you don't feel comfortable leaving it on the pew, hand it to me or another staff member, okay? Um, thank you for doing that. And I don't know if I can really have your attention because I feel like we're filling out paperwork. And other than Diego, nobody else is actually looking at me. <clears throat> Diego, um, I love my wife. And as a part of loving my wife, um, I need to express that in word. And so one of the things that I do is I tell my wife, I love you. Hopefully that's on a daily basis. Um, just, uh, yeah, anyhow. Zach, I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm doing a little premarital counseling here, son. All right, every day. For you, a couple times a day. And you can start slacking off after you've been married for a while. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> joking. I need to express that with my mouth. I love you. Um, but guys, if I was really going to take that up a notch... Now, I'm not suggesting this. I'm just using this as a sermon illustration. If I wanted to take those words up a notch, then I might express my love to my wife in a poem. 
<laughs> she would be like putty in my hand. The only poems I know start, roses are red, violets are blue, or blue. sorry. I may or may not be on sinus medif- medification, medication right now. <clears throat> roses are red, violets are blue. Honey, you're beautiful and I love you. Now, boys, if y'all, if y'all use the same poem, it's going to come across as cheesy. It came across as very authentic and sincere on my part. Now, boys, let's just be honest. If I wanted to take the statement of I love you even beyond the poetry realm, I would write a love song. None of my children are here to embarrass this morning, so I will not embarrass myself. <clears throat> or my wife by singing a love song. And really, my voice is not full throttle this morning, so I'm going to refrain from that. But if you think about it, if I were to take it to the next level, then I would write her a love song, which would not only be poetry, but it would be poetry set to music. Now, I realize that there is more to my love for my wife than stating it, even stating it in a, po- in a poem. I'm having trouble this morning. Woo, boy, help us, Jesus. Uh, or a love song. There needs to be a daily devotion through my actions for my wife to love her on a daily basis in practical ways. It has to be more than me saying, well, You know, once a week, it's like, well, honey, it's Friday night. Why don't we go out to eat? And we'll call that a date, you know, so I can kind of check my time with you off. And I've kind of done that because that's what we've done for years is we're going to go out to eat on Friday night. And, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe as a man, I might say, well, you know what? I go to work every day and I provide a living and I pay the bills for my household. And I could look at that and I could say, well, That's how my wife ought to know that I love her because we go out to eat on Friday night and I pay the bills. Now, some of you guys sitting there going, now, preacher, you're right on. That's good. That's good. I got that. No, Preston, that was not my point. My point was this is it is not enough to get it down to a a once-a-week event or whatever other duty we feel like we have to pay to the one that we love. If that is my devotion to my wife, what does it look like? What does that devotion or love look like in our relationship with God? The amazing thing is that from the life of David, we are shown an example by his words, by his songs, by his life, what it looks like for a person to be devoted to God. The amazing thing is that David shows us 
in the book of Psalms what it looks like in our relationship with God to be devoted to him or to love him as we ought to with all our mind, with all our heart, and with all our strength. The book of Psalms is an expression of worship by the man who was described by God himself as a man after God's own heart. The amazing thing, and if, you, if you're just here this Sunday, I'm sorry, let me introduce to where we are at. This Sunday we are taking 50 sermons to look at the Bible from 30,000 feet as one big story. What is the story of the Bible and what is God saying in the big themes? How does it all fit together? And we came the Sunday before Easter to the life of David and we looked at David's rise to the throne. And this Sunday we will look at David's uh, worship and his heart for God and specifically at the book of Psalms. And then next Sunday we will look at the covenant that God made with David. The amazing thing is that God because of David's heart, which was a heart after God's own heart, was esteemed to God to such a level that God said, through you, through your lineage, there will always be someone who sits on the throne, in fact, into eternity. And there's a picture, that's next Sunday's sermon, of the special one, the Messiah, the anointed one who would come in the line of David. God is, so esteems David, a man after his own heart, that he says, I will honor you in this way. To say that David was a man after God's own heart is to say that he was a man who was pursuing God's heart. As I described two weeks ago, he made much of God and little of himself. And it was in his words, it was in his worship, and it was in his life. Uh, there are more chapters in the Old Testament on David than any other Old Testament character. In fact, he is the epitome, the, the, he is the greatest of all the people of the Old Testament. With Moses, Abraham, everybody else, David is esteemed like no one else. David's life is recorded for us. This is for your information's sake. David's life is recorded for us in First and Second Samuel. The parallel to 1st and 2nd Samuel is 1st Chronicles. And then the words of David, the poetry of David, the worship of David is included in the 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. Not all of those are written by David. There's a turning point in David's life, and I want to look at this in 1st Chronicles chapter 15. You can either turn in your Bibles or the there will be a plethora of verses today, but they will be on the screen. There's a turning point in David's life in which he has become king and he has moved his kingdom from Hebron to Jerusalem. And when he moves to Jerusalem, God leads him to take the Ark of the Covenant that has been elsewhere and bring it to Jerusalem. And David does something that really transforms the worship uh, of the Hebrews on that occasion, David introduces music to the Hebrew worship. It is true that David is a shepherd 
He is a warrior. He is a king. But this morning, we focus on the fact that that David was a musician. Uh, And he was uh, one who specifically played the harp. He was a worshiper. And he leads the people to worship. In 1 Chronicles 15, 16, <clears throat> it says as David is moving the ark to Jerusalem, it says, then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites, who were that tribe that are set apart for God's business, to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals, by raising the voice with resounding joy. Later in the chapter, it describes that scene of David worshiping as the ark comes into Jerusalem in verse 27. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, which is an outer robe, as were all the Levites who bore the ark. The singers and the... uh, Oh boy, this is a bad morning to have these Hebrew names. Chenaniah the music master, with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod, which was an inner garment. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. There's more to that story that's told in 2 Samuel, but we'll leave it at that. David demonstrates his freedom in worship as he dances before the Lord. Because you remember, here's the point. David made much of God and little of himself. That's what it means. That's the phrase that God spoke to my heart to say, how do I describe someone who is a man after God's own heart? He is one who makes much of God and little of himself. In chapter 16, verse 4, it says, And he, David, appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah. Then Jael, um, oh boy, Shemiramoth, I got it. Jehiel, Matthai, oh boy, here we go. Uh, Mathathaniah, his mama called him, Matt. Uh, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, Jael, with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Benani and Jehaziel, the priest, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Notice this, verse 7. On that day, David first delivered this psalm, which is Psalm 105 in the book of Psalms, 
into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. David wrote the poetry. Surely someone else put it to music for this occasion of the bringing of the ark into the city of Jerusalem. And they record Psalm, what we know as Psalm 105. If you skip to the end of the chapter after that to verse 37. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed, the son of uh, uh, Jeduthun and Hosea to be gatekeepers. And Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon. So the tent <laughs> is still in Gibeon. The ark where God dwelt was in Jerusalem to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord which he commanded Israel and with them Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever <laughs> with them Haman and Jeduthun to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jeduthun were gatekeepers. Uh, and so on this occasion, recorded for us in 1 Chronicles 16, is the turning point of worship for the Hebrew people. David transforms their worship. If you think about what would they have done before this occasion, their worship were simply the rituals that God had given them to do for the sacrifice, and they were the rules, the moral law that God had given them through Moses. And so for all of these hundreds of years, from Moses all the way to David, they were going to the tabernacle at the prescribed time, and when they had committed sin, when they had violated the moral code they'd gone and they'd offered whatever it was that God called them to do and there were certain times that they went for festivals that was their worship what I would summarize to you today as rituals and rules and then here comes the shepherd boy somehow that God had lit up his heart even before he was king before he was ever chosen when he sat for those hours with the sheep of his father and he played his heart that God opened his heart to be a man after God's own heart to pursue God and be completely devoted to him and when that little boy years later grows up not just to be a warrior but to be king and God leads him to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem he transforms he gives heart to the Hebrew worship. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying today? Before this, it had been ritual and it had been rules. And David comes and he brings it heart. He introduces music, an emotional means 
of connecting with God. And he appoints and he organizes the Levites and the priests are for sacrifice, the high priest. Uh, the priestly line through Aaron of the Levites, but the rest of the Levites, he assigns them to be gatekeepers, treasurers, and then finally musicians. So that when the people came, there was heart to the Hebrew worship. Uh, I wrote a definition for worship some time back. It's a rather simple statement but this is my definition of worship worship is our heartfelt response to God for who he is and what he has done it's on your sheet your reference sheet towards the bottom references our worship is our heartfelt response to God for who he is and what he has done when I wrote that definition I knew that there had to be some statement, and I included in that phrase, heart felt. Worship is what comes from my inner being, and I don't know if you're, you're getting it now, but it is how we tell God, I love you, and we set it to poetry, and if we want to take it up to the next level, we set a tune to it to say, God, this is my sacrifice that I bring to you. This is from the very depths of my heart as I pursue you so that you know that I love you and I am devoted to you. So I, we praise him for who he is and we thank him for what he has done. And the amazing thing for the man who was the man after God's own heart, the expression of his worship is recorded for us, you get it, in the book of Psalms. If we ever wondered what does it look like, how do we catch a glimpse into what it means to be a man after God's own heart, 150 chapters, different songs to say, here are the words, the expression of David as a man after God's own heart in his heart of worship. Now, ooh, um, I don't know why I just made that noise. Thought for your mind. The Old Testament is made up, as the New Testament will be, we'll see that, of books of history the writings, and the prophets. The books of history, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. I don't know how many that is. It's quite a few of them. That will be the years that span the Old Testament time frame. And then come the writings that are inserted back into that history. And so the first book of writing is Job, which we have inserted back around the time frame of Genesis 11. After Job in the writing, the next book of writings is Psalms. Where do you place it in the historical record? First and second Samuel, first Chronicles. 
It is the writings of David as expressions of worship as he transformed the Hebrew worship. The book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. As we learned as children, learning the books of the Bible and the Bible itself, if you take the books of the Bible and you put your thumbs right in the middle, it doesn't work on a reference Bible. I tried it this morning. I went, oh, I'm in Isaiah. Anyhow, if you just took the 66 books and you came to the very middle and you flip it open, it is the book of Psalms. So many ways God says at the very heart of what this is all about are the words of David of his worship to me. If you want to know the heart of it, go to the very center of it. Um, I had this conversation with Casey Penner, who's gone today, so this will be the Sunday I'll call him out. Uh, we were talking about Psalm 118 the other day, and I, and I said, I said, well, the interesting thing, if you remember, and I know you all remember this, it'll be the final exam in December, but anyhow, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. The very center chapter of those is Psalm 118. Now, I think God just has a little bit of sense of humor because 118 is the center of the Bible. The next Psalm, 119, is the longest chapter in the Bible. And the chapter before it, Psalm 117, is the shortest chapter in the Bible. And do you have a question whether God laid it all out? But in the very center, I believe, as God planned the 66 books, his total revelation that he put the book of Psalms so that we would know that it is at the very heart because it gives us a view into the heart of David, a man after God's own heart. You can see it on your reference sheet, but the book of Psalms was originally five books. You'll see that denoted in your Bible at times that were eventually compiled, we believe, by Ezra some couple hundred years after David. It is the Hebrew hymn book. It is what they used in their worship on many occasions. Uh, the book of Psalms is poetry. Oh, we don't even have time for that this morning. Poetry has a certain cadence or meter to it. Many times, as my fabulous poem, Roses are Red, Violets are Blue, Honey, You're Beautiful, and I Love You, there is rhyming to it. Uh, we don't have time to discuss this this morning. Hebrew poetry does not rhyme endings of words. The Hebrew poetry rhymes in thought. <sighs> Anyhow, don't have time for that. They rhymed their statements by the thoughts. It was set to music. It was predominantly written by David. Here's the interesting thing. is It's either written by David or it's written by one of the worship leaders that David appoints. There's only a couple exceptions. There's a, Moses writes a psalm, I believe it's Psalm 90. Solomon has two attributed to him, which is David's son. The book of Psalms is a reflection of David and his worship leaders, and it expresses the full range of human emotion and experience. 
man, the book of Psalms runs the gamut. Anything that was going on in David's life, he wrote to God. Remember my point. Is David made much of God? And some of what we need to hear today, and it's reflected in the Psalms, sometimes that was the darkest times in David's life. It wasn't just the happy, clappy occasions. Man, it might say in the superscription, as I was running from Saul <laughs> and I got to a cave, I wrote this, these words down. Man, it runs the gamut. Sometimes it's personal stories, a, a, a psalm. Sometimes it's a corporate psalm by the worship leaders of David. Good times, bad times, times they were coming to worship, times of national uh, catastrophe, times of great rejoicing. Here's the point. David, in regardless of what the circumstances were, always made much of God and little of himself. I've got to read some of the Psalms this morning. Let me just read to illustrate that quickly this morning. I know if you came Easter Sunday morning, you heard me preach for 18 minutes, you go, hey, what did y'all do with the guy that was here last week? Psalm 18. Let me just read some of these to represent how David makes much of God. I love this. And little of himself. Psalm 18. These will just be on their screen. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Oh, here's one, the 23rd Psalm. David the shepherd boy, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 37, David making much of God. Do not fret because of evildoers. You can kind of imagine what was going on in David's life. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like the grass, cut down like the grass, and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh my, Psalm 51, because God's even there when we commit the worst of sins. David's confessional, penitent psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with the Psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his iniquities. Oh, I'm sorry. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And finally, Psalm 150 starts actually with the Hebrew word hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh, literally. But in our translations, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. And then the final verse in the book of Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then he ends with, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. David made much of himself, much of God, and little of himself. And when we look at David's life and we look at the book of Psalms from 30,000 feet, the truth that comes to me is that our faith must be more than rituals and rules. God esteems David more than anyone else. He was the one who brought the heart to the Hebrew worship. There must be in our lives as a part of our faith a heart that is pursuing after God and wanting to know God and glorify Him above all else. And many times worship is expressed, and worship is, can be expressed in so many different ways. I express my love for my wife not only by my words, seldom by my poetry and music, but many more times by what I do on a daily basis. Guys, as best I know how, to serve her needs. Day in, day out. That is how I express there is, there is life and there is action to our love. But so many times our worship uh, is expressed through poetry that is set to song. Martin Luther in the, the, the great revolutionary of the Protestant Reformation said that there were two things 
that were needed to sustain the Reformation, the revolution in the 16th century. He said that the people would have a Bible and they would have a hymn book. Martin Luther's quote is, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise because it is a way that we have a heartfelt response to God, who he is and what he has done. If at the very heart of the Bible are the words of the man who was a man after God's own heart, and if, they, if God so esteemed that man that he honored him in a way above everyone else in the Old Testament said that it will be through you that the anointed one will come. then there must be more to our faith than ritual and rules. There must be heart, passion. Uh, in the opening illustration, I can say to my wife, I take you out to eat on Friday nights and I pay the bills. And sometimes in our Christian faith, we can condense down to some things that we do for God that say, well, that's what I do for God. And what God is communicating to us in the life of David is there has to be more. If you can condense down your faith to a set of rules, moral code that you follow to say, well, you know, I'm Brother Darrell, I'm not going to do this or not going to do that. And you can get it down, <clears throat> I don't know, to come into church on Sunday. The life lesson from David in the very center of the heart of the Bible is it's not enough. Because God wants passion from us to be completely devoted to him. I ask you this morning... Where do you set the bar for your devotion to God? Where do you set the bar in your life to say, well, this is, this is how I'm going to love God? And really a deeper question would be, how do you set that bar? And I'm afraid many times we take our own understanding of what it is that we want to give to God <clears throat> and somehow as if God is a negotiator or we're in some kind of trade deal with God that we say well this is what I'm willing to do and this morning sermon debunks that you and I don't set the bar God sets the bar and he set the bar in the life of David to say, no, I want a man, I want a woman after my own heart that pursues me, who makes much of me and little of themselves. 
And most of the time, the problem in my life, if I'm just being real honest, is that I make much of me and little of God. Let me suggest to you something very practical. Why don't we stand? You'll think the sermon's over at that point then. <clears throat> Let me suggest something to you, uh, something very practical. Uh, if you want God to open up your heart to be a heart after his own heart, I would go to the words of, written by the man who had a heart after God's own heart. Uh, I'm going to suggest this to some other people in my life, but uh, you can apply it to your life this summer, and you can start earlier. Take two of the Psalms every day. That'll get you 75 days of your devotional material of spending time in God's Word. And say to God, God, what do you teach me? So just start with Psalm 1 and 2, and the next day do 3 and 4. 75 days you'll have completed the book of Psalms. God, what is it? And come with a, a prayer that says to God, God, what, what would you teach me for me to have a heart after your own heart? Something very practical you can do. You can start that today. You can take one Psalm a day for 150 days. And so, Father, today we would ask that in your mercy and grace that you would open up our hearts and that we would be completely devoted to you in our words, in our worship, and with our lives. Father, we pray that you would do a work of grace in our hearts to change us and transform us into those people. And Father, we trust that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning the altar is open. As you have decisions to make for Christ, I'm here this morning to receive you. Are you